Hello, welcome to another episode of the US Sports Hub podcast. My name is Curtis McCosh and every week we bring you a roundup of what is going on in the world of American sports. We are talking NFL, NBA, NHL and MLB. So if you're in the UK or Ireland or you're anywhere in Europe to be fair and you want to talk about American sports but you don't want to sit up to the middle of the night, we have got you covered. You can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you want to get involved in the conversation as well, you can follow us on Twitter at the US Sports Hub. But now we couldn't do it without our resident expert, Adam McKendry. How are you? I'm doing not too bad, mate. Not too bad. How's the form? Yep, doing really well. Um, Obviously, it's a bit of a weird one today. You're snowed in. Not quite, but I mean, it's been snowing. Not quite. I could maybe have gotten out, but for the sake of making sure I don't crash my car for a second time, I think it's probably best that I that I stay in the house. And not only that, but why bother, you know? It's cold well, outside, you're going to have to wrap up hat and gloves and all that stuff, could you be bothered? It's it's one of those days where you really want to lie in bed for another two, three hours, but, you know, some of us have a podcast to do. So some of us have it. a, yeah. <laughs> um, how was your weekend? Obviously you had a pretty big weekend, you were on your travels, you were over in Leicester and then Cardiff? Yeah, no. In terms of the travel, the weekend was great. Ulster won, which was good. They're into the quarterfinals of the Champions Cup, which is amazing. One point and in it as well. One point in it, yeah. But no, they, they did like they deserved a very good second half comeback. And then unfortunately, the Giants couldn't get it done on there uh, in Cardiff. But you know, I, I love Cardiff as a city, so yeah. I was wandering around for a bit in uh, around Cardiff Bay on. Uh, Monday morning because it's an area of the city I haven't actually been at yet or I'd never really been to before and that was that was pretty cool so I really enjoyed it yeah a really good Cardiff Devil teams uh, Devils team as well wasn't it yeah really good I mean they, they kept all most of their roster from last year and they've brought in a lot of great players like they're a really really good team and let's not try and get away from that they're they're a fantastic team so if the Giants are going to come back and they're going to win the league it's going to take a massive effort they can still do it and I think I think they absolutely could still do it but it's going to take a huge effort from them it's a great team the Giants have this year as well just on the Mm -hmm. rugby subject I learnt something new this week that Major League Rugby is a thing in the States did you know about this? I knew about it, yeah. I didn't know Although a thing. I, I am a I am a rugby reporter, so it's kind of my job to true. know about these things. Very, very true. <laughs> um, no, I was on a... As you know, I'm one of these people who likes to buy shirts from teams because I like the look of the shirt um, more than anything. <laughs> um, and I was on a rugby website and I came across Seattle Seawolves, I think it is, and was like, mm-hmm. i, I got to look into this. So there you go. Um, I, like, I know the USA have a good rugby union team for, you know, as a national team, but... Did not know they had Major League Rugby, and it starts this weekend, so I might actually uh, might try and have a look into that. Have you ever watched it before? Or? I, I've watched a few highlights. I've never watched a game live or anything like that, but I've seen highlights of games. So it's a it's a good standard, you know. These guys are are good players. Obviously, it's not close to the European standard yeah. or anything. Like that. But you know, they they know how to play rugby. It's it's not like they're they're going out for a jolly. These guys are good rugby players. Yeah, I think so. They're gonna sit down and watch it um, now obviously just before we crack on into the nfl because it was a big weekend it was a huge weekend um i've got a quick advert today so I do and that is for the belfast north stars baseball team and angels softball team they're having a joint winter training session on saturday the 9th of february at 10 a.m at the shankle leisure center in belfast and it's free for first timers so 
You don't need any equipment to have a go. The bats are there, the gloves are there, it's all there. You just need to turn up at 10 a.m. Saturday the 9th of February at the Shankill Legend Centre if you want to have a go at either baseball or softball. And the good thing is you and me are going to be there because yeah, I play are. for the Angels softball team and you're going to have a go as well, which is amazing. I'm going to I'm gonna have a go. What the heck? Listen, <laughs> I couldn't be much worse than I am talking about it than uh, <laughs> playing it. So <laughs> let's see what I, can, uh, what I can actually do when I've got a glove in my hand and uh, a bat in my other. And that's the most important thing. The equipment is there. You don't have to go out and buy a glove because I think whenever you mentioned you were going to go, you were then on, on the website looking for gloves and they range from... I didn't expect the glove to be that cheap too. Oh my God, I can't believe a glove is that price. So, oh, well, uh... <laughs> it's just so expensive. Like, you, you sent me the link and I started looking through it and it's like, for something that I'm maybe only going to do once, this is rather pricey. So yeah. maybe let's, uh, let's hope they have the stuff there for me. Let's but, give it a go. Yeah. <laughs> Should we talk about conference championship weekend? I think we should. We will start with the action, uh, the first game of the night, the Los Angeles Rams at the New Orleans Saints. Greg Zerline wrapped it up with a 57-yard field goal to sell the uh, field goal, sorry, to send the Rams to the Super Bowl. But that game wasn't without its controversy, was it? Oh my word! We have to start with the pass interference, uh, or what? I was going to say the pass interference call, maybe the pass interference non-call. Yeah. I want to. Th- I want to throw it back to you first, mate, as the non-expert which I don't believe anymore because you've watched enough now to be and <laughs> know what you're talking about would you have called that as pass interference I would 100% have called that as pass interference 100% I don't I think most fans who don't watch the game who know a bit about it would kind of be like that shouldn't have happened whether you don't know yeah. this because there could have been two or three different calls for that sort of act alone couldn't there yeah exactly I mean for anybody who didn't see it um Third and ten, there were about ooh, it was about just under a minute to go on yeah. the clock. Um, Drew Brees throws wide for Tommy Lee Lewis um, on a third and ten call. It was going to be a first down, and uh, LA cornerback Nikel Robbie Coleman came in and took out Lewis off the ball, and there was no call in the play. Blatant pass interference. Uh, I don't think anybody sort of coming out in defence of this and saying it. it it wasn't pass interference, it pretty blatantly was, yet somehow there was no call on the play. So instead of the Saints getting a first down, they could run down the clock, kick a field goal and win the game. Yeah. Instead, the Rams get the chance to tie it, which they do with Greg's Airlines field goal and they take it to OT, which they win. It's it's a horror call and you feel for the Saints. You really 100%. do. It's horrible whenever a season is determined by a call like that, especially a call that's so blatantly wrong. You know, it's not even one of those gray gray areas. Yeah. You know, black and white. That that's a penalty all day long. It wasn't. Fact, it wasn't kind of. You know, is it? Isn't it? He hit him hard and took him out of the game, and it was. I I don't know how any ref doesn't call that. There's two refs that didn't well, call that. One of the big things that you always look for is the reaction of the player. And Robbie Coleman turns around and he's looking. You know, whenever you make a stop like that as a defender, you're always pumped up. You're hyped. You're yeah. getting you're getting wild. You're jumping around. He's immediately looking around at the refs and going, right, who's throw, who's throwing the flag here? Who's called this? And whenever he suddenly realizes actually no one's called this, then he starts getting pumped and he starts getting up for it but you could tell from his reaction he knew it was a penalty and 
somehow it wasn't called. I think that's the big thing. And if you actually go and look at some of the articles that come out after the game, uh, Nickel Ruby Coleman knows that was pass interference. He has yeah. come out and he said that was pass interference. It's not his fault that the ref didn't call it. Well, he- I mean, the, the league the league have called Sean Payton and said, yeah, that that should have been a penalty. So mm-hmm. that. The NFL have actually called a coach and said, yeah, you know what, guys? Hands up. Our ref's got it wrong. You know, that, that it's, a, it's a real shame because the, the Saints have put themselves in a position to win that game. They should have won that game. Yeah. They haven't. At the same time, I want to make this clear, and I'm possibly going to go a little bit controversial because I'm not sure too many people would agree with me Love here. Love controversy. Get over it. You know, in a season like this, officials are going to make mistakes. Now, granted, this is a massive mistake. Yeah. You know, the, this is a, a huge, huge error in a huge, huge game. And I, I would imagine that uh, that line judge probably won't be uh, in any big games anytime soon after missing that. But, you know, games, re- referees are human. You know, they're not robots who are able to call every penalty exactly as it is. They will miss calls. You don't expect them to miss calls like this, but they will miss calls. And throughout the season, I'm sure the Saints have gotten calls that probably were a little bit dubious. Yeah. Maybe calls that uh, that wouldn't have gone their way on another night. I haven't watched all of the Saints games to know, but you know that it happens. You get your ebbs and flows. You get your luck some week. You don't get your luck some other week. And at the end of the day, you shouldn't leave a game that close that a call like that decides it. Yeah. If you're good enough, you should be winning that. You know. A, a few minutes later or a few minutes earlier so that you're not in that position well, where you're relying on a call going your way. It's interesting to say that. Let's go back to the very start of the game, the very first quarter, where the Rams' defence, who are one of the teams we've been saying their defence is patchy, their, their defence for most of the season was the fact that they had an amazing offence. Um, in the first quarter, the Saints had two trips um, to the end zone, which both resulted in field goals. Now, that ended up with them being 6-0 up instead of 14 so had they capitalized on those trips it would have been a different story well exactly um, postseason football is always about making the most of your trips to the red zone and we said this last week you know, there's no room for error if you make an error at one end of the field the teams you're playing you're not getting the luck of playing a, a weaker side who you can get by with getting points and then getting the occasional touchdown you have to be making the most of your trips to the red zone and the Saints, they were getting points on the board. That, that's the thing. They were at least getting points yeah. on the board. Not, not enough, though. This Rams offense was always going to be good enough that they were going to score touchdowns and they were going to come back at some point. And we saw that they did. And you know, you almost knew after that, uh, after the field goal that put the Saints ahead at the end, you almost knew that the Rams were just going to come back. They were at least going to have a shot yeah. at the time in the game. Um, and even, even if they missed, they'd at least have a kick at it. But um, no, look, I, I'm not, I'm not going to put it down to the fact that their offense wasn't getting it done at one end. I, I just think that the Saints are too good of a team. They just they weren't making the most of their trips to the red zone. Yeah. Um, and that that's, yeah, you're you're right. That, that's sort of the key there. And something that only ever comes up really in postseason football is that the Saints had a massive amount of noise behind them as well. There was actually instances in the game where you could see that Jared Goff and, and Sean McVay couldn't actually hear each other. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was it was obvious, and, and that is another thing the Saints could have capitalised on, and I suppose did in, in some instances, but that was a massive advantage that they had. Uh, look, 
home advantage is always so massive in the yeah. playoffs. Whenever you have your home crowd behind you, they're driving you on, they're willing you on. You have that sort of, it's almost like a wave of emotion coming in behind you. You just sort of think, like, we can't lose this, we can't lose this in front of our home fans. And it gives you that extra 5-10% that just pushes you over the line. <clears> the <throat> Saints just didn't get it done on the pitch. And that's, what, that's what I'm saying. If you're a good enough team, you don't leave it close enough that uh, a call determines it. But, you know, fair play to the Saints fans. You know, the atmosphere was incredible. Yeah. Like, and you can't ask any more from them. But uh, it's a shame their team just didn't get it done on the day. And let's just very quickly, lastly, talk about the fact that Greg Zerline scored that 57-yard field goal. Because I feel like a lot of the shine has been taken off what is one of the greatest kicks in yeah, postseason I, I football. Pe- people have barely talked about it. You know, I'd actually forgotten about it yeah. until I went back to sort of write up my notes for this morning. And I, I then was just like, oh yeah, hang on. Zerline <laughs> kicked that 57-yarder. It was insane. Um, I, I think it's, it's the longest postseason field goal um i'm not sure in rams history or in nfl history but it's in one of the two uh so like the whenever you can rely on a kicker like that you know it makes your job so much easier but imagine the pressure he must have been oh, under there to be, crazy. to be standing over that ball going right gotta kick this now yeah and it wasn't <laughs> um, his only pressure kick uh, there was one beforehand where I think I thought the Rams were going to go for it, but they didn't. They called a kick and it kind of waved as if it was going outside the post and then yeah, came back yeah, yeah. in and like, he's, he's such you a know, great kicker. It's quite funny. A lot of kickers now do that. Maybe maybe not deliberately, but they manage to kick it so that it has that swerve on yeah. it. Kind of, uh-oh, where's this going? Then it swerves back and it's, as a okay, spectator, it, it like it, as a spectator, it kind of gives you that almost nearly heart attack moment, doesn't it? We're like, it's not yeah, going exactly. through, and then it goes through. But like, you got to go back a few plays first as well. Give credit to Dante Fowler for that great hit on Breeze and yeah. uh, overtime to force the fumble. John Johnson scooping it up, Zerline kicking the field goal. There was so much in overtime that you don't you don't remember because everything's dominated by that pass interference call yeah. as it should. But, you know, Fowler comes up with a big play. Johnson is there to scoop it up. Zerline comes up with a massive kick. You know, the Rams, as a as a unit, came through in this one. Um, and that's going to serve them very well going to Atlanta for the Super Bowl. Uh, let's put that to bed then, that, uh, that pass interference call, because that is going to come up a lot. Let's just forget about that and move on to the game that probably broke America's heart. We're going to talk about the other game. The New England Patriots going through to the Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs. And that is Tom Tom Brady Sorry, going to Super Bowl number nine. Is that right? Tom Brady would become the oldest Super Bowl winning quarterback at 41 if he was to win uh, in a couple of weeks. And he would be the first ever to do it six times. Yeah, that is crazy. He he is the the best quarterback of all time, in my opinion. 100%, yeah. I think there's no question about that now. The fact that he's able to consistently lead the Patriots through games that, especially in the postseason, they really shouldn't be winning. Uh, just his ability to keep yeah. doing that. There's one thing that I found yesterday that I didn't realize at the time. The Patriots added eight new unpracticed plays before the game. Offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels came into the team room on Sunday morning and just said, all right, lads, here's eight plays. We haven't run them on the practice ground. We haven't even tried them before. We're going to try them in the game and see how they go. One of those plays 
was the third and ten slant in overtime that allowed Gronkowski to get the first down that eventually led to uh, Rex Burkhead going over for the game winner. That is insane. Like that, that's mad. And there's only one team in the NFL that could get away with that, isn't there? And that's the Patriots. But that that's just the confidence that McDaniels has in that group, the confidence that he has in Brady to pull off a play that they haven't practiced, the confidence he has in Gronkowski to run the perfect line to pull off the play. It's... It's something that no other team can do. And for a team that... It, it's, it's very crucial that the Patriots are a team who notice other teams' weaknesses and build around that. So they don't... They can change their game up. They're not a team that's good on offense. Yeah. And not a team that's good on defense. They're a team that's good on whatever they need to be good on on any given week. And this week, McDaniels realized that the Chiefs' coverage of Gronkowski was to force him inside and then bring someone across from uh, the centre of the field to cover the potential pass. So he then decided, okay, we'll bring in this slant move that brings Gronkowski across the front of the defender and that'll get him the first down. It worked brilliantly. It's amazing. it's, It's unbelievable to be able to have the confidence to say to your team, go out and run that play. And then that that's what effectively ended up winning them the game. And just what just while you're talking about sorry, about the the things that the Patriots are good at, it's not the first time we've seen this, that they're good at peaking at the right time because they are hot right now and it's when they need to be hot and they're going to the Super Bowl in an amazing run of form. Postseason Kings. Never bet against the Patriots in the postseason. They just—I say it every single week. They know how to get it done. I just want to be on that. Got the T-shirt. They—they just have, you know, that—that that ability, that know-how. And in, whenever the chips are down, backs are against the wall, they can get out of it every single time. Um, and that—it's just something that they've built over years and years and years of confidence um, and good work. Uh, in the postseason, Bill Belichick is a master at getting a side through knockout games. And just quickly taking it back to Brady, um, I've seen mixed reports this week about people saying Brady is so good because defenses can't get to him. But when you look at how he played in overtime, every pass in overtime was a beauty. It was just incredible. There's credence to both arguments. Look, that that offensive line is brilliant for the Patriots. Like that. He gets an armchair ride every single week. Like, don't get me wrong, that he is a class act without any shadow of a doubt. Yeah. But the offensive line gives him some great protection, and I think you could give a lot of quarterbacks that time and space, and they look a lot like Tom Brady. But at the same time, you're absolutely right. He has that natural talent to find guys down the field that he has no right to find. Um, whenever you look at, he, he's got Gronkowski and Edelman, who he loves to throw to. Um, he's got Josh Gordon now, who's just a red zone master like there's guys in that lineup that make it easy for him in terms of throwing as well but in terms of natural ability in terms of presence in the team in terms of leadership there's nobody like tom brady he's outstanding it wouldn't be fair to spend the whole time talking about this game talking about the patriots though because kansas they they had a very good comeback zero points in the first half of the game 31 points after the second half, and I mean, they managed to pull it back. It was an absolute thriller. Like you, you forget that the lead changed four times in that final quarter. Yeah, there were thirty-eight points scored in the fourth quarter between the two sides. That's insane. <laughs> like uh, that's that is exactly what you want from a postseason game. It was high octane. It was high stakes. It was thrilling. Rex Burkhead scores a touchdown with thirty-nine seconds to go, and you think that's it. 
but Patrick Mahomes somehow comes back and sets up Harrison Buckter for the game tying field goal. Madness! Like every time you thought one team had it won, the other team just said, "Well, hang on, we're not done yet." Like even whenever Buckter kicks the field goal, you know, you almost think to yourself, "The Patriots are going to come back and score again, aren't they?" <laughs> um, but like it, it's just it's just the kind of game. That yeah. It is. You know, it was two amazing offenses going head to head against two defenses who haven't quite had, um, have haven't had great seasons. But uh, that's where the uh, that's where the excitement comes from. You know, you get two teams who are just playing with a lot of abandon, a lot of uh, attacking flair, and you end up with a, a final quarter like that. It was a phenomenal postseason game. It's it's one of those ones bring out the old cliche: neither team deserved to lose. Yeah. I suppose technically they didn't because it was a tie after regulation, but you know one one team had to progress, and in the end, I think it was just the experience of the Patriots shone through. Um, Patrick Mahomes though definitely going to win a Super Bowl at some stage in his career. He has to, doesn't he? He's, he's that good. He's, he's he's coming through at the right time. He's such a good player. I wouldn't be surprised to see him lift the Lombardi. You've got to be you got to be careful. He's in his first season. Look, he's deservedly become a superstar because he has been. Absolutely outstanding this year, no question. But there's always a chance for a second season drop off. There's True. always a chance. There's always a chance that this is just a flash in the pan. But right, right now, if he continued this form, absolutely, he should win a Vince Lombardi Trophy. He should win the Super Bowl. He should be MVP several times. He should be an All Star. You know that he he should be one of the best quarterbacks uh, in the game for several years. I, th- I I wouldn't worry about him at the moment. I mean, he, he was still great in this game. He was just bettered by the GOAT, basically. <laughs> yeah. So this year's Super Bowl then at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, it's going to be the Rams and the Patriots. Do you dare call it? I just, want, I just want to take a second to very quickly be smug and say that let's go right back to the very first podcast that we ever did where we had the argument where I said I would go for the Patriots to win the Super Bowl and then we agreed that that was the easy pick you shouldn't go for the Patriots because that's that's a noob thing to do I was a noob then um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I went for the Rams and now they're both in the Super Bowl mm-hmm. so I just well we don't need to we don't need to talk about it we don't need to talk about it I just very quickly wanted to mention it and embellish do, it do, yeah, do, to be fair like it, it is quite <laughs> impressive calling both Super Bowl uh, teams but like I still agree that New England is the easy pick. Oh, it is. It is the easy pick, absolutely. Nope, fair play. You called both of them right. Mm. I I, I was a long way off, but... I mean, yeah. I mean, I did. I didn't want to say it, but there you go. Um, the the Vikings, the, the Vikings. The well, the Vikings was your pick, and they did have a season that nobody expected them to have. I expected yeah. them to be a lot better with that lineup. So. What are you going to do? Uh, yeah, um, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I don't think too many people saw the Eagles having quite the run they did last well, year. Well, this is there's it. There's always one team that sort of surprises everyone. I think uh, probably Seattle was uh, the team that shocked everyone this year. Yeah. Maybe the Patriots maybe a little bit of a shock. I think a lot of people thought they were on the decline a bit, but obviously not. So, look. Fair play. I'll give you credit for that. You you made the right Glad call. I've, I've got to I've got to get you back next year. I've got to <laughs> get it right next year. Do you uh, do you dare call the Super Bowl? Do you dare call who's going to win it? 
Uh, I was going to leave this to next week. Right now... We can do it next week since since we've got a week to uh, no, no, break. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll, I'll call it now and then we'll see if it's changed next week just by anything that maybe happens between now and then. Right now, I'm going to I'm gonna go for the Rams to win it. Yes. Because I think they've got the more all-rounded game. I think the offense is good enough that the defense can sort of if the defense can keep Brady sort of quiet, yeah. the offense is good enough to do better than that effectively. Well, I, I think whereas the Patriots they're good on offense, but that defense still has the defense on the Patriots side has more questions than either the offense or the defense on yeah. the Rams side. And I think that's that's where the winning of the game is. The, the Rams can be solid both sides of the ball, whereas the Patriots are going to rely on their offense to get them over the line. But they're coming up against a very solid Rams uh, back division. Uh, let's get a quick look at some of the news then. The Chiefs have sacked their defensive coordinator. Uh, not surprised about this one. Yeah, de- defensive coordinator Bob Sutton is gone from the Chiefs. Their defense was largely inconsistent this year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that it was very obvious for a lot of the season that that's what was holding them back. It definitely wasn't the offense. Um you wonder would he maybe still be in charge if D Ford hadn't accidentally lined up in the neutral zone whenever the Pats <laughs> snapped the ball? But we don't know. Yeah, these we are the did. questions. I would, I would guess probably not because the defense has been so far. And look, whenever your offense is that good, you know the, the the Chiefs are number one, number two offense at the worst in the league. Um, they only need a. a a decent defense they don't need an all-star defense they just need a decent defense they'll keep teams relatively quiet um so like there'll be no shortage of suitors uh wanting to take the role the anybody with uh any sort of defensive capabilities should be able to turn that roster into a a defensively solid team that can let the offense do their thing without too much pressure um you also get the chance to work with safety Eric Berry, who will be back healthy next season as well. Chiefs are going to be Super Bowl contenders next year. So you're coming on to a team that will be competing next yeah. year for the championship again. So it's a very appealing job. I've heard Rex Ryan as an early candidate, which would maybe make sense. He's got the defensive pedigree, but we'll see. They'll, they'll, they will have no shortage of people lining up to take that job. Uh, just sticking with the Chiefs then, obviously a new story we all imagined would probably be the case. They are planning to extend Patrick Mahomes then, which is no surprise at all given the season he's had. Completely makes sense. He's been outstanding. He's about to be named MVP. Yeah, you absolutely want to tie this boy down to a long-term deal. Um, they're speculating that it could be the league's first $200 million deal. Wow. Uh, yeah, it would make sense. Look, it's going to dwarf Matt Ryan's 150 million. If it yeah. doesn't reach 200 million, it's going to be high, high hundreds. Um, it's probably going to be bigger than Aaron Rodgers' 33 and a half million annual wage. And the fact that Mahomes is now sort of becoming that public figure, yeah, you know, his agent asking him to step into a more public role. He's going to start getting sponsorship deals. He's going to start doing uh, advertising campaigns, stuff like that. He is now a global superstar as one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's going to now bring his public profile up to that level as well. So it's going to be a huge offseason for him because he's going to sign this mega new deal. He's going to be told, 
you're our franchise quarterback going forward and we're going to trust you with that. Um, and he's going to step into the limelight too. So huge changes for Mahomes. But this is just a start for the Chiefs because, you know, you've got Tyreek Hill, Chris Jones, both up for big extensions yeah. as well. They might want to bring back uh, a certain player who we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, but... You know, there's a there's a lot to uh, there's a lot to come from Kansas City over the off season. Well, we'll we'll, t- we'll talk about that player that they might be bringing back now. Just before we move on to the Rams, um, so the NFL are going to conclude their investigation into Cream Hunt by March. We'll not go too into into too much detail about what the investigation's yeah. about, but he could be making a return to the Chiefs then. Yeah, well, cru- crucially, the big thing that they're going to conclude their investigation by March means before free agency opens, teams who are interested are going to know everything they need to know about him. So whatever the NFL decides is going to be out for teams to look at before March. So teams will know, okay, we do want to bring him in or no, you know what, we'll, we'll let this slide. He's going to be hit by a six game suspension to start the season. That'll probably be reduced given that he's served quite a lot of that this season season, already. So you're talking maybe two or three games as opposed to six. Um, Chiefs, I think, will be in on them. They they will probably distance themselves from any talk of we want to bring Hunt back, but I, I would say they will be more than happy to at least talk to him yeah. and see what his thoughts are. Uh, only the Bears have publicly spoken to him and they've admitted you know, they've been keeping tabs on him, but no doubt there are several teams, if not a majority of teams who are at least keeping tabs on him and are sort of aware of what he's doing. So he's going to be one of the premier free agents next year. Anybody he goes to, he makes a better team. He's a brilliant running back. Let's lastly go to the Rams then, who want to discuss an extension with their head coach who got them to the Super Bowl this year, Sean McVay. It's amazing. Sean McVay is 33. He's younger than Tom Brady. It's insane. What is this? Um, Yeah, I know that completely makes sense you know he's great coach led them to a super bowl youngest coach in the nfl but he's absolutely mastering it one of the best things that i found out at the weekend was uh mcveigh has an assistant coach who follows him around on the touchline i've seen this his get back coach yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) no i'm sure i'm sure the assistant coach has other roles he's not solely there to pull mcveigh off the field if he's about to run into an official but it's quite funny that that is one of his jobs. Yeah, that... li- there's a video of him literally following McVeigh all the way around the field, and then pulling him away whenever uh, he gets in the way. And he's in so... he's in a stance and everything. He kind of like bounces up and down yeah, the yeah. sideline behind Sean McVeigh whenever whenever he's about to walk into the ref, yanks him back, and then pushes well, him back in quite... as well. Because McVeigh yeah. loves to move around, so he no, he uh... loves to move around, and he's got this stare where he, nothing around him is is there. <laughs> it's just what's happening yeah. on the pitch. It's yeah. kind of intense, actually. But that's that's the dedication of McVay, and that's why they like him. And I think you know a lot of teams around the NFL. You've seen over the uh, off season, teams are hiring younger and younger head coaches. And I think that's all down to Sean McVay. I think that's all down to people looking at Sean McVay and saying, "Well, you know what? He's doing it for the Rams. Could someone come in and do it for us? You know, is, is that uh, is that the kind of thing that we should be doing?" So yeah, look. Like, Pursuing an extension with McVeigh absolutely makes sense for the Rams. They're about to move into a new stadium in 2020, so it makes sense that you have yeah. McVeigh sticking around for that. Um, <clears throat> right now, he's one of the lowest-paid coaches in the league, and he's and, at the Super Bowl. 
and he's just gotten to the Super Bowl, he's going to vault a long way up that list when he yeah. gets this extension. That he's probably going to land somewhere around what John Gruden and Pete Carroll got uh, with their last extension. John Gruden got ten million, Pete Carroll got eleven million. So you're talking somewhere around there. And the interesting thing is, too, we have got a lot of time with Sean McVay because if you look at, say, the Buccaneers who have just hired Bruce Arians, we're going to have him maybe three or four years tops, if even that long. Whereas Sean McVay, is, he's 33, he's going to be in the league for a long time. You know what? One of the things that I always think is a coach shouldn't overstay his welcome. So the problem is, if you sign this, there's a good chance they're going to try and tie him down very long term like you're gonna nearly offer him about 10 years or something like that problem is it goes against steel yeah like he's not going to continue the success all the time yeah like he's going to lose players eventually and they're gonna have to go through a real rebuild at some point you can't hold on to all these guys um so i don't know and i always think as a coach you shouldn't stay in one place for too long. You should always be looking to move on. Yeah. Not 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 really quickly, but you know, to, maybe to, yeah, you should be looking ahead. But but what I mean maybe is, around the five he, six year mark, you he, should be thinking, right? Have I done all that I can for this team? Yeah. Or, you know, do I want to stay on? Like, at, at the end of the day, we're talking about a guy who could potentially deliver a Super Bowl to LA. Yeah. Uh, his third year in charge, I think it is second, maybe even the second year in charge, like. We could be talking about the Rams getting out of a guy who's about to deliver them a Super Bowl, but somewhere down the line, you wonder: Do you want to give him too much here? Anyway, yeah. like, well, no, no. Right now, I'm... right now, he's absolutely worth it. Yeah, but what I mean is, he's going to be in the league for a long time. Not necessarily with the Rams, but he'll, oh, he'll he will be. Yeah, oh, yeah, for yeah, a very, very long time. Be, yeah, he's going to be in the league for many years. So that's like that's not not a question. We have only got two games left to talk about then. We've got the Super Bowl, obviously, which is... Um, sorry, I'm getting messages on my phone here. The Super Bowl, <laughs> which is two weeks away. Um, well, just under two weeks now. And, of course, the Pro Bowl as well. So may- maybe we'll do a bit on the Pro Bowl next week. What do you think? I'm missing the Pro Bowl for the first time in three years. You mean you're yes. not going to it? Yeah, I'm not going to the Pro Bowl for the first time in three years. Oh, how come? I'm very upset. Because the Giants are playing this weekend. <laughs> so you're not going to the Pro Bowl because the Giants that is dedication to the job fair play yeah fair my job <laughs> you'll be able to watch the Pro Bowl though oh yeah I'll be, yeah. I'll be able to watch the Pro Bowl I probably will watch the Pro Bowl and I'll sit there crying the whole time because <laughs> you're not there well secret, we w- secretly I hope Florida gets one of its horrible thunderstorms that uh, it always gets and they call it off and I'm like well didn't miss anything imagine Yay. imagine you secretly wishing that millions of people will not get to watch some of the greats play the game because like, you can't gonna, be there I'm not going to lie I sat in Camping World Stadium last year and got absolutely drenched in a in a thunderstorm so I remember that I, re- I remember that, yeah. was that the game that was on and off all the time because of the yes. yeah yeah I got <laughs> soaked to the skin it was not fun well <laughs> next week next week we'll have a chat about the Pro Bowl and we will get a proper look towards the Super Bowl then uh, will we talk basketball let's go for it Let's talk about what's going on in the NBA this week then. You want to go to the very top of the Western Division first? Yeah, right to the top of the Western Division to the Golden State Warriors where DeMarcus Cousins has debuted for them. 
like the all the all all star roster has now finally hit the court. And, oh my word, how great are they? You know, you look at this, that starting five for the Warriors now is Demarcus Cousins, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. What? Insane. Even even if you're okay. not like a basketball fan, those are names that you know. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that you take out Andre Guadalla out of that starting five, who's been great for them, yeah. and you put him on the bench, and you have his impact coming on off the bench. Like, Golden State are now stacked. This is what they've been waiting for all season. And the fact that they're 33-14, and 14, they're third in the NBA behind Toronto and Milwaukee, and they've only just got their entire team on the, on the court. Yeah. That's insane. Like, these guys can now go on and dominate again this year because of that and you look at what Cousins has brought to them so far the, the numbers aren't great 11 points 7.5 rebounds and 4 assists um, average in 2 games yeah uh, so then what's that 22 points 15 rebounds and 8 assists there's my great maths coming in <laughs> in 2 games you know those aren't the numbers that you're really looking for from your all-star but you've got to bear in mind he's coming back from injury yeah you Got to give him time to bet in a little bit, but his impact goes beyond the box score. Where, in fact, we were talking about Rory Best and how Rory Best stats aren't great in a, in rugby, but his impact beyond the stats is immeasurable. You know, he's, yeah. he's an outstanding personality, outstanding player beyond just the stats. It's exactly the same with Cousins. He's been hustling for the for Golden State. He's been working his butt off. He's been setting up some big plays for them. There was one where he he was sitting down on the court, he still managed to pick the ball up with one hand and set up Draymond Green for a three-pointer. Like, <laughs> it, it's mad. But you look at that team. That team is far and away, no question about it whatsoever, the best in the yeah. NBA. If you are not on the top of your game every time you play Golden State, when they have those five on the court, they will punish you every single time. And you certainly wonder if they're about to take a big step back up to the top of the uh, the NBA because they, they've got the Washington Wizards up next, which should be another win for them. Uh, I don't see too many teams stopping them right now. It's it's setting up a pretty telegraph finish to the, to the Western Conference. I think Golden State are going to go on. They're going to be pretty dominant again this year. Yeah, absolutely no surprise. They're sitting top of the Western. Another team that's not much of a surprise <clears throat> to be at in and around the top of the table anyway. We'll go to the Eastern. We're looking at the Toronto Raptors. They are sitting second in the Eastern Division at the minute. Yeah. What I want to know is, are they going to be aggressive at the deadline? Um <clears throat> This is the year for Toronto. They took a massive risk by going out and getting Kawhi Leonard as a one-year rental. Now, I don't disagree with the decision, yeah. but it's a massive risk because, you know, if if you bomb this season, that's your chance gone. That's your contending chance gone. But instead, they've brought him in. They're managing him very well. He's putting up great numbers, but he's not going to be MVP because they're setting him for so many games. <clears throat> But he's averaging 30.4 points a game, 7.4 rebounds, 3.2 assists, 2.1 steals, and he's 52.5% with the shooting. Like that's, that's outstanding. He's doing exactly what they want from him. But this has to be the year they win the championship. Yeah. Like We've known that for a while. So they have to now set themselves up in the position to... Go for it now. If they don't win it now, they don't win it. So 
They've got to be aggressive at the deadline. They've got to go for someone to supplement uh, Leonard. So you've got... Um, they're going to have to get um, a three-point shooter. That, that's something they've struggled on this year. They need to get a three-point shooter. Or they need to get a big physical center. They could use Jonas Valanciunas. I can't even pronounce that. <laughs> Valanciunas. That's pronounced horribly. But but we know who you're talking about. We'll move it. We're calling him Jonas from now. Jonas. It's like... It's like Janus with uh, Milwaukee. We're just going to call... Janus, yeah. He's, he's just Janus. This is Jonas. It's like you know him in first so, name terms. He He's going to come back, but they could use him as a trade chip to go out and get someone else. Yeah. Because, well, the problem with them using that is if they come up against a team like the Sixers who have Joel Embiid in the centre, are they going to trust Greg Monroe? You know, he's not maybe the most physical centre uh, coming up against them. So... There's so much. There's so much to weigh up, but they have to go and get someone, in my opinion, especially a three-point shooter who won't be part of the starting five. Because you look at beyond Leonard, you've got Kyle Lowry, Serge Ibaka, Danny Green, and Pascal Siakam. Like that. That's an entrenched first five. Like, you don't really want to mess with that. So you want someone who can come on off the bench and add a lot of good three-point shooting. Um, and that's why you maybe want to look at packaging someone like, for example, you know, OG Ananobi is going to be a Kawhi Leonard pl- type player yeah. in the future. He's going to be brilliant, but they're they're competing now. So is this the time that you package him in with a deal? Perhaps you stick him with Dylan Wright or someone like that, put them in a deal together, and you bring in someone to supplement that first five um, or that starting five with a three-point shooter off the bench. I, I, I noted on a few guys that they could bring in. John Wall is... The, the biggest problem is there's probably not enough talent available on the trade market yeah. that they could get a good deal here. So you're talking about John Wall, who's probably too pricey. They won't want to give up enough for what the Wizards will ask for him. Trevor Ariza probably won't be made available by the Wizards. And Terrence Ross from the Orlando Magic would probably fit in well there too. But again, the Magic aren't quite out of postseason contention yet yeah. either. So they might not make him available either. So one of the biggest problems for Toronto is the market isn't quite there. And if they're going to bring someone in, they're probably going to have to pay over what they want to for whoever they're going to bring in. So they have to be aggressive they have to get it right yeah. they can't they can't give up too much for a player if they're not going to get uh, <clears throat> if they're not going to get enough from them this year they have to make sure they get the right trade but they have to compete this year it's a really delicate balance, balancing act so uh, watch this space then for Toronto let's go to Portland who continue <clears throat> that sort of trend they've been on their last 10 games are 7-3 and three. the problem is every time Portland look like they're going to do something brilliant they do something stupid and <laughs> go back. But at the same time, every time it looks like they're going to fade away, they don't. So <clears throat> Portland are such a strange team right now. They have back-to-back losses against Denver and Sacramento, which they then followed with wins over Cleveland, New Orleans, and Utah. So, you know, the, there's just an inconsistency there. That's the problem. They've been playing better defense recently. That's There's no question about that. But the problem is they've been playing teams 
with per records and that's that's the big difference like um the uh the trailblazers at the moment are 15 and 4 against teams with losing records and 13 and 15 against teams with winning records so that suggests that this team is sort of in that middle bracket yeah. where they're better than the bad teams but they're not as good as the good teams so <laughs> but every time that they pick up a big win you always think okay this team can now push on they can now be one of those better yeah. teams and then they're not and then they don't they yeah falling back but the problem is <clears throat> they have Yusuf Nurkic playing so well Jake Lehman's on a bit of a hot streak right now. They could do something in the playoffs. If you hit them, or if you uh, hit a bit of form at the right time, these guys could be deep playoff contenders. But at the same time, if they're on a bit of a cold snap, they could be swept and they could yeah. be out in the first round of the playoffs. They're, they're such a streaky team. One of the things that you know that they have to do is they need their bench to step up a bit more. One of Lehman, Seth Curry, Nick Stauskas... Zach Collins, Evan Turner, guys like that, they they need one of them to be posting at least 15 points per night, and they need at least one of them uh, adding a bit more off the bench too on any given night. Now, all five of them are good enough that they can be uh, contributing in, in ways like that, but they need them to be stepping up consistently, and that's just not what they're getting right now. They're fourth in the Western Conference right now. They're looking good for a playoff spot. This team just the consistency, be, yeah. They could be so much more, and it's frustrating that they're not. Uh, let's go to a team that we've talked about a couple of times this season already, the LA Clippers. Now, they did sort of start to move down, um, and, and now they're sitting where we'd expect them to be. They have to decide what they want to do with Tobias Harris. Well, Harris is a legit 50-40-90 candidate, <clears throat> so you know he, he is playing light tight so yeah. far this year. Um but the Clippers have slipped to seventh in the Western Conference. They're twenty-five and twenty-one. They're only a game ahead of the Lakers, uh, who are ninth. So, um, could very easily slip out of the playoffs very quickly. Like, if the players, or sorry, if the if the Clippers feel like they can't contend soon, and I don't think they're contending this year. They might make the playoffs, but I don't think they're contending. Yeah. Is it better that they flip Harris now? and they maximise the return for him because there are plenty of teams out there who would take him. I think Toronto would probably take him. He's not a three-point shooter. or That's not the the strength of his game. Yeah. But I'm sure they'd still take him. Um, so do, they, do the Clippers bite the bullet now and say, look, get the most for him now. We'll rebuild and we'll try and build a proper roster. Or do you keep him and hope that a few guys elsewhere in your own roster right now step up and start making a bigger push back up towards the top of the west because they could get a big return for him now yeah or they could run the risk of not getting to uh, a great return later on and then they won't be quite as uh, and they'll still have no championship to show for it but what will make their decision even harder is before the deadline they only face two top sides in the lakers and the raptors yeah other than that, I think it's they play five other games and they're all against teams with losing records. So in in those seven games, even if they take one of those two games against the Lakers and the Raptors, they could put together a very good run, solidify their place in the playoffs, and all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, 
do we want to keep Harris now? We want yeah. we want to we want to have him at the forefront of our roster. You've got to weigh it up. This is what teams always have to decide uh, decide to do. I know the Penguins in the NHL are deciding whether or not they want to trade guys or not. This is always a very exciting time whenever you get to the trade deadline to see which teams are actually going to be active sellers, which teams are going to be active buyers. Uh, very exciting. Uh, we're going to talk about a trade very soon. Let's just quickly go to Miami Heat. Dion Waiters is starting to act out. What do you mean by that? What's going on there? Uh, it's another Jimmy Butler situation. <laughs> do you think players are just starting to see know, this now and going, I want to do that, I want to act out, gets me in the papers? You know, whenever I wrote this down, my first, the first time I wrote it out was Dean Waiters has turned into Jimmy Butler, and I was like, we don't want to talk about Jimmy Butler again. <laughs> that we have Jimmy Butler, this is exactly the same as Jimmy Butler. Welcome no, to the Jimmy Dion, Butler podcast. Dion Waiters has, been, has started to become very vocal about the fact that he doesn't like the lack of game time he's getting yeah um and it's fair you know he's been out injured but he is one of their best players so it, it does make sense that he would be getting a lot of game time but he's been vocal to media he made a very non-subtle comment on instagram about his lack of playing time and he's been fined by his team for an expletive laden rant about head coach eric spelstra so He's not happy and he's not handling it the right way either. The problem is, is he has been good. You know, yeah. His performance have uh, warranted more game time. So he scored 18 points off the bench in the defeat to Boston, which is brilliant. He, this has to go one of two ways. They have to trade him or they have to start him. Yeah. Okay. They they can't sort of flip-flop between the two where you stick him on the bench and you start him every so often. He is a starter, so Spelstra has to either back down and say, yeah, come back in the starting five. They have to say, this isn't working. We're going to send you somewhere else. At the end of the day, the Heat are 22 and 23 and somehow holding on to a playoff spot. Yeah, They're not going to contend, so this would be the perfect time to just say, we're not dealing with this. Get out. Yeah, well, you see, I was going to say, usually whenever that sort of thing starts, even whenever you start them, there's always that kind of atmosphere of he's only playing because he acted out and stuff like that sometimes the best thing to do is is, is allow them to move on isn't it well the, you're right but the problem is waiters performances have warranted starting well, yeah so you know if, if he came back into the lineup nobody could say he's only starting because he complained he has been legitimately good enough to earn a starting spot so that that's the only uh that's the only way I think the Heat get out of this and Spellstreet gets out of this by saying, you know, he, he has been good enough, so we're going to stick him back in the lineup. If he went back in and he hadn't been performing, then yeah, absolutely. You've got you've got other players who will probably be complaining quite a lot. But now, if they put him back in the lineup, I don't think anyone would complain because yeah. he's been playing so well. But he's definitely handled this completely the wrong way. Uh, let's talk about a trade that has been talked about for a lot of the season. First of all, is he going to go? And second of all, where is he going to go? We're talking about Mello now. The Houston Rockets have traded him, allowed him to go to the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> yeah, and the uh, the ironic thing is the Bulls are not going to play Mello. They're going to either trade him yeah. or release him. So, yeah, he's not going to uh, play a game for them. But, we talked about this last time. Seemingly, LeBron has said that Melo is coming to the Lakers and if LeBron says it generally that means it's happening 
Well, it's funny you should mention that because the Lakers do have interest and they do want to bring him in, but the problem is they're not going to waive an active player to sign him. And right now they don't have the space to bring him in. Yeah. So they're not going to do that. So we can park that to the side for the moment. If a space becomes available, I think the Lakers will be straight in to claim him or trade for him. If not, that's... Yeah. Interesting. Like, but I'll, I'll fill in the rest of the trade, by the way, because there was more. The Bulls also received John Diebler and $1.56 million. The Rockets got the tri- draft rights to Tadija Dragicevic. Um, neither of those two players are going to make any kind of an impact. They play in Turkey. They're very unlikely to make it to the NBA. Yeah. The money's the big thing. The Bulls also get $1.5 million to take Anthony off their hands. So, um, Melo wants to join a team where he can make an impact. Right now, there's no team in the NBA where he could do that and contend. Yeah. So I think the, the most likely thing that's going to happen is he's going to sit as a free agent and he's going to wait out the rest of the season and come back next season. Or he's going to join on. With, he's going to have to bite the bullet and join on with a team where he's not going to contend. Yeah. And he, he can kind of rebuild his stock and say, look at me, look at what I can do, and then get a good deal uh, before next season. Because I don't think anybody's going to trade for him right now. None of the contenders, I think, are going to trade for him right yeah. now, which is where he wants to go. So I I think he's he's either got to say to the Bulls, look, I'm happy to be traded to a lower team. Just make sure it's a, it's a team that are going to play me. Or he's going to uh, he's going to have to just wait it out until the end of the season. Um, I, I imagine he'll probably fall on the side of I want to at least play yeah. and rebuild my stock. Because uh, met- didn't work out for him uh, in Houston, by the way. Yeah. So I thought he, I thought he would have been a good fit there, coming off the bench. But clearly, he wasn't happy, and his performances showed that as well. But the thing is, with a, with a good bounce back with another team. He, he could be very valuable to some sides. Yeah, I think he's not a player who's happy coming off the bench, is he? He wants to be starting. Well, absolutely, yeah. The, that's the other thing that you have to bear in mind. He, he wanted a starting job in Houston. He didn't get it. He wanted a starting job um, with Golden State, and he wasn't getting it. So, you know, and, uh, that's that's why I think he has to go to a lower team first, yeah. rebuild his stock, become get back to his previous levels with a lower team, and then he can step back up into a competing team uh, next season. Let's quickly check back in on the Lakers there. We mentioned them briefly while talking about that trade. Lonzo Ball now out for four to six weeks with an ankle sprain, so another injury at LA. First thing I had written down was this is the last thing the Lakers need. Yeah. yeah as, as we said earlier, they're just outside the playoff spots. Their roster's good enough that they should be in the playoffs, but right now they're not. Um Ball had been struggling a bit with his shots. He was uh, averaging 9.9 points, 5.4 assists, 5.3 rebounds, but he was about 40% shooting, which isn't going to get it done at this level. Um, so maybe just a, obviously not inf- or, uh, not his choice, but a bit of enforced layoff maybe wouldn't be the worst thing to just take a step away from competitive action, shoot a few baskets in practice, get a bit of your confidence back, and take it into the game whenever you come back. But Ironically, this is this is where you maybe want Mello to step in and yeah. uh, fill that spot, but uh, they're not they're not as I said they're not going to waive anybody for him, so that's out the window. Um, yeah, if the Lakers could get healthy, they could make something of a run. Um, maybe not for a championship, but yeah. at least just to get back sort of up the up the standings a bit. 
but like, they're just struggling so much with uh, injuries at the moment. We've said right from the start, though, that this isn't the Lakers' season to to go and win something. No. Maybe it's next no, season. Not, um, I'm not trying to claim that it is. Yeah. But, you know, the, the fact that they're they're having so many injuries and they're still in contention for a postseason spot is impressive. The, so... The good news for the Lakers, uh, there's a couple of media outlets saying that LeBron is going to be back on Thursday. So, yeah, you know, whether he is or whether he's not, it's good to, that LeBron is now in the stage where they're talking about him coming back because exactly. it's LeBron. So, Of course, and then any team's better when LeBron's playing on them. <laughs> so we wait to see if LeBron, uh, LeBron makes his return this week. While we're waiting, I think we should go and talk about some ice hockey. Woo! Right then, let's check in on the NHL, what's been going on there this week. And we'll start with an unlikely New York Islanders at the top of the Metropolitan. Barry Trotz is working miracles again. Go on, man. Whenever whenever people saw him going to the Islanders, everyone thought this is going to be a rebuild job. You're going to have to come in. You're going to change around a a team that just was not very good at all. You've got to bear in mind at the start of the season, they were expected to be sellers at the deadline. They lost their franchise player, John Tavares, at yeah. the start of the season. And everyone expected them to be one of the basement dwellers. Now we're coming to the deadline. Instead of sellers, they're potentially looking at investing in a rental player. And they're top of the Metropolitan. You know, They're holding off Columbus. They're holding off um, Washington. It's amazing what they're doing. They've won five in a row, 12 of their last 14 this Islander side are just a team playing with massive confidence. Matthew Barzal is heading for a point a game. Um, in fact, sorry, he's, he's just above a point a game at the moment. Uh, Anders Lee is on track for 30 goals at the end of the season. They're getting a lot of uh, a lot of output from guys that they didn't expect to be getting yeah. output from. And I, I think that's probably where success breeds from. But where their success uh, really starts is at the back. Robin Leonard and Thomas Grice lead the league combined with a 920 save percentage they have been lights out they are absolutely superb Leonard has long been a good goalie in the NHL but he's never been elite this year he's taken a massive step up and he's one of the best in the league and Grice has always been a solid backup and he's just kept that going so the Islanders at 25 15 and 4 are sitting very nicely they're confident They could easily keep this going. You know, this isn't like a team that have suddenly hit a good patch of form. Yeah. They're going to fall away. The Islanders actually look like a team that have coherence and they know what they're doing. And it's funny because I read an interview with uh, one of their forwards, Matt Martin, earlier in the week, where he was saying, you know, as soon as Tavares left, everyone immediately said, you know, this team is going to finish bottom of the NHL. Yeah. And that sort of galvanized them. That sort of brought them together. And it's like, you know what, guys, let's not. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they're top of the Metro. It's now, I, still don't think they're, I still don't think they're Stanley Cup contenders or anything like that. Yeah. But they're a heck of a good team right now. I do remember back whenever the, the news that Barry Trotz was going to the Islanders first came out. And, and we did say that, you know, maybe he will do something. Probably not this season, but... So it's amazing to see that they're sitting there top of the Metropolitan. It's good, you know, good when, stuff for them. Whenever whenever he came in, he said it's very similar to whenever he came in at Washington where he had to instill a culture in the team, where he had to sort of say to them, this is how I do things. If you buy in, I'll reward you. Yeah. And I'm going to buy in 
you've got to do the same for me and so far it's working wonders it's such an amazing thing to see it actually reminds me of the belfast giants at the um continental cup finals every player bought into the game and it's the sort of same thing that's happening here isn't it you know what it's actually quite funny i'm I'm gonna name check uh, a friend of mine joel neal who always likes to mention that you can look at all the stats you want you can analyze everything to the nth degree, yeah. but one immeasurable stat is buy-in from a player. If a player comes in and is committed to what you're doing, if he trusts that what you're doing is right, and he gives his all for a team on any given night, then that that's going to count so much more than a 50-goal scorer in a yeah. season who doesn't care, doesn't give his all. Because he, you can almost guarantee that the player who gives us everything will end up with the better stats at the end of the season than the proven guy in the past who breezes buying games. It just happens. Buy-in is massive. Let's go from a full team of players who are buying into a coach to one player who threw a bit of a strop last week, obviously isn't buying in. Bobrovsky. Yeah, yeah, sorry. We talked about Sergei Bobrovsky in the Blue Jackets last week. Um, since then... They've turned to backup Junus Corpusalo. No, they had to for one game because they suspended Bobrovsky. Yeah. But um, Corpusalo has now started four of the last five. Now, I understand that you know whenever you suspend someone, you have to play. But backups play maybe a game every three. So yeah. you usually start two with your starter and then one with your backup, or maybe even three with your starter, and then one with your backup. Different coaches go different ways. Corpus Allo, the backup, has started four of the last five. So you instantly know that he's not he's not a backup. Like, they're playing him for a reason. Yeah. And on top of that, he's impressed. Now, you look at the stats, 295 and 901 um, on the season, which does not sound good, but that that doesn't take into account that he's improved massively in the last couple of weeks. And it seems like they're giving him the chance to see how he copes with the starter's workload. Now, this is where it gets tough. And we talked earlier about uh, the Clippers' decision with Tobias Harris. Bobrovsky is still the better netminder. Yeah. Corbisalo playing better in recent weeks doesn't make him a better player. He's... He's not. Bobrovsky is the better netminder. He he is a Vezina Trophy winner for a reason. Yeah. If they are going to, if Columbus are going to be Stanley Cup contenders, which they still like, look like they could be, they need Bobrovsky between the pipes. Corpusello is not going to win you a Stanley Cup. You need Bobrovsky there. But it looks like they're trying to weigh up. Could they trade him away? Yeah which is why they're giving Corpus Allo so much time. So that this is the risk. Do you trade Bobrovsky away and try and win a Stanley Cup with Corpus Allo and run the risk of if you don't win the Stanley Cup and Corpus Allo, say, has a shocking uh, postseason yeah. run, you're, you're always going to have that question, what if we kept Bobrovsky? So, you know... You, Columbus are entering a really, really important part of their season and we're probably going to talk about them for the next couple of weeks because they're right at a very clutch point where they could trade Bobrovsky away. They could get a decent return for him. They could get a return for him. You know, if, if they don't trade him now, he walks in free agency and they get nothing for him. Or 
You trade him now and you get something in return for him. The same applies to Artemi Panarin. Uh, Panarin sorry. Um, no, it's more likely he's going to stay because he's playing so well and uh, they like him a lot more. He's not questioning things. But this, this, is, this is a sticker twist moment for Columbus. It'll be very interesting to see what they do because they will not win the Stanley Cup with Corpus Allo between the pipes. I just very quickly want to check something. Yeah, I just wanted to check. For some reason, I had to check if Tampa Bay Lightning were still at the top of the uh, Eastern Conference. Obviously, they are. That was a, a stupid thing to check. What I was going to say is uh, if, if they're going to the Stanley Cup, they're going to face Tampa Bay at some point, and they're not going to, you know, they're not going to beat them. So get them going. Get Bobrovsky going. That's what I say. <laughs> um, let's go to Montreal. The Canadians are benefiting from Buffalo not playing just as well, and uh, your team's a bit of bad luck as well. Yeah, um, the Canadian. You can't deny that the Canadians are over overachieving. They're twenty-seven, eighteen, and five. They're tied on points with the Bruins for third in the Atlantic Division. Um, they're only, I think, two points behind Toronto, but Toronto have played two games less. Um, but look, Montreal are playing consistently, whereas Buffalo are up and down like a yo-yo. Boston can't seem to get any luck with injuries. If the Canadians can just keep that consistent level of performance the whole way through, there's a good chance that both Buffalo and Boston will keep sort of fluctuating yeah. up and down. The Canadians will just sneak in under the radar, um, at least for a wild card spot, which is massively impressive given that, again, this is a team that maybe weren't expected to finish bottom, but they weren't expected to be a playoff team. Max Domi's been an inspired trade. Um, he's benefited massively from a change of scenery and is now leading the team in scoring. Thomas Tatar is a great pickup as well from uh, from Vegas. Um, look, Montreal are a team that nobody was ever really talking about as contenders. They could very easily just slide in uh, under the radar and reach the playoffs, and that would be massive for that team. Uh, let's go to a team who are potential contenders. We'll go to Toronto. They want to <clears throat> extend Austin Matthews there. This is what, what Toronto do in the offseason is one of the most interesting stories of the offseason because they're trying to get Matthews signed down to an extension, and they probably will because there are several teams that are ready to snap him up yeah. in the off-season free agency if they don't get a deal done with him. So they want to get him tied down very quickly. And they need to get Matthews done because he's one of the young superstars of the game. Like, bear in mind, he's got 20 goals and 42 points in 34 games this season. He's so he's in between where Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel were at this point in their careers. Uh, not as good as McDavid, but better than Jack Eichel. So he's probably looking at somewhere around 11 million, which is between what Eichel and McDavid got. So yeah. 11 million a year. Um, but it becomes really awkward for cap space. The Leafs already have John Tavares on 11 million. They're going to have to offer Mitch Marner something similar if they want to keep him. And they've got young, promising players like Kasperi Kapanen, Andreas Janssen. They're both going into free agency at the end of the year. How did Toronto find the wiggle room to get all these guys in while staying under the uh, under the luxury tax threshold? You don't know. But getting Matthews signed down is the first part of it. And he's he's one of the main ones. You have to get him yeah. signed down. Yeah. Uh, 
signed on the dotted line. And I think they will. They're going to get him done pretty quickly. But uh, just get, keep an eye on the Leafs, particularly in the offseason. Maybe not right now, but um, Mitch Marner isn't going to discuss anything until after the season's over. So they're, they're going to they're going to lose one, at least one, if not two, of Marner, Kapanen and Johnson. It'll be interesting to see how they prioritise what they want to do. Uh, another contract extension happening at Carolina. I'm going to let you say the name of this one because I will 100% mess it up. <laughs> Tevo Teravainen. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, the Carolina Hurricanes get Teravainen signed to a five-year extension. Not quite as much as what uh, Matthews is going to be demanding. <laughs> $5.4 million for the uh, young Finn. He's been one of the Canes' most consistent producers. He's on for 39 points this season for a team that have been... Uh, have been looking for a bit of consistency among their forward lines. He's been uh, one of their better players. They've, they're trying to build a stable group of forwards. They've got Sebastian Aho. They've just brought in Nino Niederreiter and uh, Michael Furland as well. Trying to sort of nail down that, that consistent top line and most of their second line as well. So this is the first part of it. It's good they've got this done. Now they can focus on tying a few more guys down to uh, big deals in the off season because they're they're not having the same cap space problems. They can start thinking about who they might want to bring in in free agency or trade for as well. And last but not least, we'll go to a team who we expected so much more of. Uh, they are just one off the bottom of the Metropolitan Division. We are talking about the Philadelphia Flyers. You know what? If you switch the New York Islanders and the Philadelphia Flyers around, that's exactly what you would have expected yeah. at the start of the season in terms of who we're going to, uh, <laughs> how it was going to finish out. But no, uh, Flyers have struggled this year, and it's time to start maximizing your return for some of these players. So they're going to move Wayne Simmons before the deadline. He's a premium goal scorer, so there's going to be plenty of teams interested in him. Um, Especially, you know, since James Van Riemsdyk, they've brought him in. He's on more money. Van Riemsdyk is on more money. He's the better player. He's able to do the exact same thing as Simmons, um, which just means there's no room for both. So he's the perfect guy for a playoff team. He's exactly what you want as a playoff team because he'll provide goals and he'll provide a physical presence as well. So... I think there'll be a lot of teams asking in on Simmons and seeing what the Flyers want in return for him. The Bruins seem like a good landing spot. There are several Western Conference teams that will probably be interested as well, uh, but I, I don't think he'll have a lack of suitors, that's for sure. And Just before we wrap up then, we'll quickly check in on what's going on in baseball because we're not quite at the season yet. Spring training just around the corner. and We'll quickly check in on some of the moves in the MLB. We'll go to the Braves first. I'm going to start by saying I saw a tweet the other day that uh, spring training is only three weeks away, and that blew my mind. <laughs> I had no idea we were so close to the start of spring training, and that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, as far as things go, can you believe Christmas was nearly like, what, was it like four weeks ago now, three, four weeks no, ago? No, it wasn't. It's insane. it's insane. I think it's three weeks no, ago, well, yeah. are you serious? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, it's, it's crazy. I'm, yeah, it's Oh, it's my mad. word. But that, uh, mean, that only means that baseball is closer. That's true. Yeah, there's uh, there's only two seasons, baseball season and not baseball season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is well, the most baseball fan thing to say. <laughs> Atlanta um, Braves. Yeah, yeah, the Atlanta Braves have re-signed Nick Markakis, one year, six million dollar deal. He fills the open spot in Atlanta's right field. 
solid player with a healthy slash last season, uh, two ninety seven batting average. Um, the problem is he's now thirty five, so he's lost a lot of power uh, with the bat, and he's starting to grade down as a defender, which is something that he was able to hang his hat on. He won a Golden Glove last year, but you can see that his defense isn't as good as it was. He's not; he, he is definitely grading down. Yeah. So. You can see him coming back in and this year platooning, um, given that he struggles against left-handed pitching. So he'd pair nicely with Adam Duvall. You might see Ender and Ciarte sit every so often. But um, no, I think that there's a safe option for Atlanta. Marquecas wanted to return to the Braves. He turned down better offers in order to uh, rejoin the Braves. So I think it's one where both, te- or both parties kind of wanted to get it done. And yeah. They did. You do question: Could the Braves have done better? You know, were, were they ever in on Bryce Harper? Maybe we don't know. Yeah, I mean, but the, the there's Braves... a team that would, there's a team that will be contending this year. So you maybe wanted to make a bit of a splash. Yeah, well, they were looking good last year, so maybe this year we'll see them in the postseason. Um, yeah. New York Yankees—they are making some moves. We talked about them a lot last week, actually, and uh, they're back in the news this week again. Yeah, well, this is a good news story, and I put we should have finished with this, but that's my fault for not putting it at the end. Um, New York Yankees have given Danny Farquhar a minor league deal. Now, this is, this is great news because uh, Farquhar had a brain aneurysm during last season whenever he was with the Chicago White Sox, and uh, you know it was, it was horrible news. He's yeah. he's a former race pitcher. I've I've seen him pitch in person, which um, is kind of cool. But yeah. he. Uh, he then obviously suffered this horrible uh, injury, and uh, but he's back now. He's back pitching. He's back playing, um, and he's now got a minor league deal with the Yankees, which also includes an invite to spring training. It's not likely he's going to get on their major league roster, yeah. but the fact that they've given him a deal, they're willing to let him play for them. He's going to be a depth player for them and could potentially be called up at some point, um, which is which is massive for a guy who at one point was fighting for his life yeah. in the hospital. So it's amazing. So great great to see that Farquhar has joined on with someone and fair play to the Yankees for giving him the deal. Uh, let's go to Cincinnati then. They've traded for Sonny Gray. Big trade, yeah, that's the big trade this week. Um, it was a long time in coming. People expected uh, Gray to be traded for a while, especially since the Yankees were very much open and, yeah, we are going to trade him. Uh, so... It's part of a three-way trade with the Seattle Mariners. The Reds get Sonny Gray and Raver San Martin from the Yankees. The Yankees get center fielder Josh Stars from the Mariners and a competitive balance pick A from the Reds. That's just a draft pick. Don't worry or anything about that. That's just a draft pick. And the Mariners get second baseman Shed Long from the Reds. But we'll focus on Gray because Gray, Gray's the obviously the main part of it here. The Reds have immediately signed him to a three-year extension. They've made him sort of the staple part of that rotation now. Um, Cincinnati have long said that their rotation is good and they've never lived up to expectations. So Gray, now that they've got him signed down for three years, is going to be a key part of that rotation. He's going to front it for the next three years and he's going to be there whenever they're next set up to compete, which could be next year, could be the following year. Either way, he's going to be there whenever they do that. Yeah. Um, and you look at that rotation now, you get Tanner Rourke and Alex Wood coming in. Um, add that to Luis Castillo and Anthony Disclafani. 
it's now a solid rotation with the potential to be good. So, well, I wouldn't say the Reds are contenders this year. They're starting to build something going forward, and uh, this is the first part of it. And let's last but not least go to Anaheim. The Los Angeles Angels have signed Cody Allen. They are probably loving life at the moment because they got him in a one-year deal for $9 million. That's a bit of a cap hit, but Cody Allen, he's been a lights-out closer uh, for the Indians in previous years. Yeah. He took a step back this year, or sorry, last year, uh, I should say, because just he just didn't have a great year. But if the Angels can get a bounce-back year from him, get him somewhere at the level he was whenever he was the closer with Cleveland, they're going to be pretty happy with their return. Um, and Allen's probably delighted with this as well because he will be given the closer's role in Los Angeles, which is exactly what he wanted. Uh, not just is he going to be delighted for that reason, he's going to be delighted because he gets to hang out in LA in a really nice stadium. Their stadium is, is class, I love it. Um, the waterfall and everything, it's awesome. I don't know, have, have you ever been to Tropicana Field? No, well that's, all, that's also very true. Um, also no, just on, it's, it's on the... horrible. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been to the, uh, the Oakland Stadium, it's awesome. Nobody, no, like, nobody like likes Oakland. I don't it's, like Oakland Stadium. It's grim, isn't it? We we had that. We had this conversation before. I think we uh, have. Yeah. Just on the uh, on the subject of the Angels, don't forget Belfast Angels. Uh, the uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a good get in there, wasn't it? That, that was a very good get in. And uh, yeah, they're having a a joint winter training session on Saturday the 9th of February at 10 a.m. in the Shankill Leisure Centre. And if you want to come along and learn how to play softball or baseball. It's free for first timers, so there you go. Um, that'll certainly keep keep my coach happy. Um, that that's in there twice now. So that just about does it for this week. Then, what have you got planned for the rest of the week? Uh, I'm gonna wait out the snow and hope I don't get stuck in my house for the next <laughs> week. Do you know something? Uh, my uh, my boss in work. Um, someone phoned in yesterday and said that they were they were potentially maybe going to be snowed in or something. And he was like, I was in Iceland last week where the snow was six foot deep and nobody gets snowed in and here we have oh, yeah. a, a gentle dusting of snow and <laughs> everybody's you ringing in the, sick the, the funny thing is yeah as soon as we get any kind of snow ever anywhere it's like uh d- don't know if i can go out today yeah you know, if they get snow in iceland in boston like even boston or new york it's like Life goes on. Get yeah. out. <laughs> it has to. Though this is the thing. I'm actually. I'm. I'm away to. Um. I'm away to to Krakow at the weekend. Um, oh, in, yes. In Pol- yes. I'm away there. Uh, so we fly out tomorrow, which is Thursday actually. And uh, I know last night, which was Tuesday, um, the 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 airport at the runway was closed. So I, I'm. I might not be going anywhere. Who knows? Um. <laughs> but, well, that. that... Ah, well. I'm that sure remains to be probably seen. Probably gonna get snow there, and I hope you enjoy it, man. Yeah, it'll be awesome. Um, thank you very much. Obviously, the rest of the week then, Giants for you. Uh, Giants for me. Ulster play Friday night. Giants play uh, Saturday night, and then they're away on Sunday. So, yeah, I've got a, I've got my weekend planned, and uh, I'm looking forward to it as always. And Pro Bowl on Sunday night, obviously. Pro Bowl Sunday night. Sit down, watch that. Hopefully I will not shed any tears. Adam, thank you very much. Enjoy your weekend and as always, we'll catch up with you next week. Always a pleasure, mate. Always a pleasure.